Hello and welcome to the MPA Futures Group podcast. Hello and welcome back to another fantastic episode of the MPA Futures Group podcast. My name is Henry Marsden. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. So glad that you're here and that you found us. You're in the right place if you're looking to learn more about music publishing or are keen to explore a career in or grow your current career in this vibrant and critically yet often overlooked sector of the music industry. For this episode, my fellow Futures Group committee member, Becky McEntee, sat down with SongTrust's Lara Baker, exploring her career progression through music publishing. They touch on some great topics and specifically highlight some really helpful resources for women in the music business, which I'll recap at the end of this episode in case you miss them. So don't worry about having to take notes or rewind. I've got you back. I'll let Becky introduce their discussion in a minute. A quick reminder that the MPA, the Music Publishers Association, is the umbrella organisation for UK music publishers, safeguarding and championing the interests of its members by promoting the value of publishing to the wider music industry, creative industry, government and the general public. The Futures Group represents those within our industry with less than 10 years experience generally, facilitating a safe space for an engaged and supportive community and generating new informed ideas to help guide the MPA's future approach to industry policy and providing fresh perspectives for evaluating the direction of the music publishing business. For now, I'll hand over to Becky, who can introduce her discussion with the fantastic Lara Baker. Hi everyone, I'm Becky McEntee from the MPA Futures Group, and in today's podcast, I'm speaking to Lara Baker. It was great to speak with Lara and get some insight into her career so far. Named in Billboard's International Power Players List 2021, Lara is Director of Business Development at SongTrust, the world's largest global royalty collection service and publishing administrator. They administer more than 3 million songs and represent more than 350,000 songwriters, with a core mission to help songwriters, music creators and rights holders. Previously, Lara spent 14 years advising and supporting independent artists and labels at AIM, where she created the AIM Awards before beginning her own company, The Bakery, to consult with music organisations and event producers on their strategy and execution. Lara has consulted for clients including BBC Music Introducing Live, The Great Escape Festival, The Musicians Union, Liverpool Sound City, The Music Managers Forum and Americana Fest UK. Joining SongTrust in May 2019, Lara is responsible for securing new business and maintaining relationships with songwriter and publisher clients. Lara is a board member of the Americana Music Association UK, a frequent speaker at a number of events including TED Talks, South by Southwest, UN Women and MEDEM, and a founding committee member of the Music Week Women in Music Awards. Thank you to Lara for joining us on the podcast and I hope you enjoy listening. Hey Lara, how are you? I'm good. Well, actually, I'm not good. I have COVID, but, you know, otherwise, I'm I'm fine. I've tested positive, but I don't feel too poorly, so oh, no. all good. So the recovery has actually been okay? Yeah, recovery in progress. I'm, I'm still technically testing positive, but I think the worst of it is behind me. So if I sound a bit nasal, that's why. But, um, yeah, I'm really not doing too bad now. Brilliant. Well, I'm glad you're you're all okay. So thank you for being on the podcast today. It's just a vast overview of what your 
career has led you to, some of your thoughts on areas of the industry where we could improve on. Um, so yeah, my first question is, what led you to a career in the music industry? For example, was it through education or another avenue? Well, um, yeah, that's a good one, because I did do a music business management degree many moons ago now, but actually the reason I, I went and did that degree and, and wanted to work in the music business was because of my big brother. Um, he's about 15 years older than me, and when I was a teenager, he had this amazing job where he presented a music TV show um, on cable TV. It's, it was a little channel, no one remembers it, but... What it meant was he was interviewing loads of artists and musicians and pop stars when I was like 13 and I used to go along with him and, you know, meet Boyzone and meet Steps and all these like big 90s pop groups. And it just seemed like such an exciting world and it opened so many doors for me that, you know, people in the small towns in the West Midlands don't normally get to, to go through. So it was him that really sparked that that passion and that belief that it would be possible to work in the music business. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, when I was 18, I went and did a music business degree and got a job in the industry from there. So out of all the 90s bands that you met, who would have been your favourite? Uh, do you know what? I loved Five, but I never got to meet them. My brother would interview them all the time, but it just never worked out and I, I just never got to meet them. And actually, I, I got to meet them uh, about four or five years ago now. At the um, There was a big reunion tour, which was really cheesy. It had lots of the big 90s bands on it. And, um, and I finally met them at the after party. And so, yeah, it, I've gone full circle. Everything accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have like an autograph book where you'd like get anyone oh, yeah. to sign? Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, going to like before. Disneyland and taking my little autograph and getting all of the characters to sign my autograph book, which isn't yeah. quite as cool as you. But um... yeah, I loved it. Obviously, you know, in the in the 90s, it was before camera phones. So you didn't get selfies with them. You got their autographs. So somewhere in the loft, I have an autograph book filled with 90s pop stars awesome so now you've explained kind of how you got into the industry could you kind of speak about the different roles that you've taken on throughout your career and how this has helped shape where you are today yeah I mean my first job in the music industry was well actually my first one was at EMI Records I did a, a paid internship in their catalogue press department um in 2004 I think it was and Shortly after that, I got a position at AIM, which is the Association of Independent Music, which is the, the trade body that looks after independent labels in the UK. And AIM was very new then, you know, in 2004, it had only been running for a few years. And it was quite a small staff, small team. And although I joined in a really entry-level role, what quickly happened was I was just so involved in all of the organization's activities. So, you know, taking labels and artists overseas to, to meet them and to other trade fairs, um, helping them to access the digital market because at that point, uh, you know, iTunes was just launching in the UK and the digital market was an entirely new thing. And the Indies didn't know how to get their music onto all these platforms. So AIM kind of plugged that gap and I was a big part of, of the work in that area. And I stayed there for years and years, and over those years, my role evolved. So I became membership manager, and then I became marketing and events manager. Um, and I created AIM's, uh, you know, entire range of conferences for independent labels. So IndieCon, the Women in Music Conference, the Sync Conference, 
um, and then ultimately created the the AIM Awards as well, which still runs to this day and is an amazing celebration of independent music that takes place each year. Um, so eventually I was marketing and events director at AIM. I was on the board. I'd been there 13 years. It was an incredible journey, and I loved being so connected to the independent sector, which is such an exciting, broad church of so many different genres and so many different sizes of company and so many different characters. But eventually, obviously, I had to, I had to move on and do something new. So I then started my own consultancy, which was called The Bakery. And for about 18 months, I consulted for clients like the Great Escape Festival, BBC Music Introducing Live, the Music Managers Forum, the Musicians Union, um, Liverpool Sound City, lots of different events and organisations. And I was doing work like programming conferences, booking speakers, booking artists and performers, uh, diversity work. I'm really sort of passionate about improving diversity in the industry and have done quite a lot in that area. Um, and then the role at Songtrist came up and I wasn't planning on getting a job at that point. I was actually really enjoying running my own business, but it just sounded like a really exciting opportunity to learn the publishing side of the business, which I hadn't up to that point. And also it was, for me, it was about the opportunity to work with and for Molly Newman, who has always been someone that I felt was a really impressive leader and I knew her from when she was running A to IM and I was at AIM. So I was really, really keen to, to take up the opportunity to work with Molly. So um, yeah, I'm at Song Trust and I've been here coming up to three years now. Wow. So a really kind of eclectic mix yeah. of things throughout your career, which is great to, to kind of hear about because I think a lot mm. of people look at this industry and think I've got to decide in you know, going into sync or going into A&R and I can't really waver from the choice that I make. So it's great to see that you've gone through different departments. Um, so throughout yeah. your time at AIM, obviously you were there for 13 years. One of the the big kind of talking points at the moment is the difference in how females um, are kind of seen in, in the industry as opposed to males. Did you ever find in those 13 years that you know, there were potential discriminative behaviour in you potentially being overshadowed by a male? Or was it something you always found that actually you had areas where people would give you those opportunities? I think I had a really fortunate path. And I didn't realise necessarily at the time how fortunate I was um, and and the reason I was so fortunate was because I worked for for sort of 12 of those 13 years for the CEO Alison Wenham and she is you know to this day one of the, the most well respected and most successful and most high achieving women that the music business has ever had um, and she's also a real champion of women and diversity. And she used to throw me in at the deep end all the time, especially when I was in my early 20s. I would have to stand in for her at meetings with, you know, heads of huge companies and really important people at the last minute because she hadn't made it in and things like that. And at the time, I used to find it really scary and I was really frustrated with her whenever she did this. But actually, I think she was sort of throwing me opportunities to to learn and develop and to improve my skills and my knowledge. And yeah, so she, she was a great person to work with and to learn from. And I saw her, you know, really champion women, not just me, but she did a lot of work to diversify the AIM board. So we had lots of women on the board as well as men and lots of people of different ages and people of colour and a real kind of diverse group, which, you know, 
is unusual now. It was very unusual 10, 15 years ago. So I had a great experience working with her. But that's not to say that I didn't see discrimination and didn't, you know, I've, I've seen lots of friends experience discrimination as women in music. Um, I've experienced it myself in numerous ways through the years. So it, it certainly remains a problem. Um, I think we're moving in the right direction as an industry, but, you know, historically, it's a very male, pale and stale business. Definitely, yes. So on that point, is there kind of, are there resources that you use or you can share with with the listeners about ways in which they can use, you know, maybe books or other podcasts um, to talk about this kind of thing, to, to make it feel more inclusive and also ways in which the industry could improve? Yeah, I mean, I think one of my top tips for anyone listening um, who, who might be a woman or, you know, a person of a minority working in music is there are so many great networks that you can plug into now that, you know, didn't exist when I joined the industry sort of getting on for 20 years ago now. So things like She Said So, Women in Control, Girls I Rate. Um, there's lots of great networks for women in music and you know, the, they really do make a difference. They're an opportunity to to meet your peers, to, to form relationships, to, to build your network. And I think for me, that has been the most important thing. You know, having a, a network of other women in the industry who are a similar age to me that have become my friends is amazing because, you know, we send each other opportunities. We kind of bounce ideas and, and problems off each other. Um, and it, it really has made a difference in, in my journey through through the business. Um, so going back to your career, obviously you, you mentioned that you felt almost a little bit fortunate in, in the path that you ended up taking. Was there ever a point where you were in a role or there was an opportunity available where you felt that you maybe didn't have enough experience or you were more experienced even, where, you know, your skill set how that matched up to to the role that you were doing because I think a lot of people nowadays they you know go to university or they get a qualification in music business or something and then when they actually come into the industry it's a very different thing because you're actually practicing it as opposed to just sitting there reading a book um you know did you ever find that that the experience matched up to to your role or not yeah, I guess on that subject, you know, thinking back, you, you really do learn on the job in the music business. You know, there's, there's, I might have done a degree in it, but it, it really is a case of, of learning everything as you do it. And I wouldn't say I've ever been necessarily qualified for anything that I've taken on. Um, there's a few good examples of that. For example, when, when Alison Wenham asked me to start the AIM Awards, I was in my sort of early to mid-20s, I'd never even been to a music industry awards ceremony. I was like, yep, I'll do that, no problem, I'll figure out how to create an awards ceremony, but I probably need to go to a few first, which which was quite fun, because I got, you know, that year I got to go to every single music industry awards ceremony and, and just schmooze and figure out how it's all done and all the smoke and mirrors that kind of goes into making an awards ceremony work. Um, but yeah, I'd never been to one, so I did the first one, made a bunch of mistakes on the job, but it did go okay. Um, and that there's some quite funny stories there, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, and, you know, the second one was better and the third one was better than that. Um, and it's the same now with working at Songtrust. When I, when I took this role, I knew that I had, because it's business development, so a big part of it is, 
is knowing people and having relationships and being trusted and having that network. And I knew that I had that, but I'd never worked in publishing before. And I, I've, I felt that imposter syndrome when I, when I considered this job, thinking, well, I don't know publishing. And I think, you know, Molly knew that with my, with my track record in the business and with my relationships that I would figure it out. And I have done. Um, and so I think anyone who's, who's kind of younger and listening to this, looking at getting into the music industry, you don't have to already know how to do everything. You will learn it on the job. All the rest of us have. <laughs> so don't be put off from applying for something that you're passionate about just because you might be missing some of the experience that the job description mentions because, you know, this is how the industry works. You'll figure it out. I think that's great advice. Do you have any further advice on, you know, if someone has graduated from university and they really want to get into the industry, are there organisations that specifically help? Obviously, I know MPA is a good one. Um, yeah. But, you know, is are there any that you've come across that would, would help people get into this industry? Yeah, I've done quite a bit of work, actually, with an organisation called Young Guns Network, which um, I'm really congested with COVID. I can't tell if I'm saying words correctly, but Young Guns Network. They, it's basically, it was set up by Remy Harris, who also was one of the original people who hired me at AIM many moons ago. Uh, But yeah, Remy Harris and um, my friend Sam set it up as well. And it literally is an organisation that's about helping people to kind of bridge that transition from education into their first music business roles and then those first few steps of the ladder once they're in the music business. Um, and I don't know since COVID kind of how many events they're doing and, and um, you know, what you can plug into with that organisation, but um, they do some incredible things. You know, they introduce people, they help people to find jobs, they do kind of workshops and lots of training. Um, and I would definitely check that out. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's the main aim of these podcasts, really, is to create a bridge between the people in the industry and the people wanting to get into the industry. So any help is is much appreciated. Um, so going back to your career and talking about the music industry as a whole, are there areas in which you've seen the industry really evolve um, for the good or for the bad? You know, are there things where like you said, 20 years ago, you thought, oh, that will never happen in this industry. And it has ended up happening. Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the big, there's kind of two big areas, right? There's the whole sort of diversity side of things. And then there's the the sort of digital progression in the industry. And looking back, you know, having joined in 2004, both those things have have changed so much, starting with um, diversity, I guess when when Alison and I first started doing like the AIM Women in Music event and we started kind of banging the drum about diversity and inclusion in the early noughties, you know, no one wanted to hear it. And people found us a bit tedious and a bit repetitive, I think, because we were constantly going on about it and no no one else really was. And that's so different now, you know. Alison and I co-founded the the Music Week Women in Music Awards. And when I go to that now, I'm just amazed how far along we are. You know, it sells out every single year. There's incredible people recognised from right across the industry. All the big companies have got behind it, you know, all the majors and Spotify and YouTube and so on and so on. And, you know, it's really meaningful. And 
I do still hope, though, that we'll get to the point where we don't need that awards because, you know, we might look back in another sort of 20 years or I don't know how long it'll take and think, you know, that that was a bit twee. Like, why did we need a Women in Music Awards? Um, we're not there yet, but that's kind of what I'm aiming for. So, yeah, I think we've come a long way in terms of diversity. And obviously there's, there's much more to it than gender. And I think we haven't, we've come quite far on gender, but I don't think we've done enough yet on, on race and inclusion and diversity as far as people of colour are concerned. And I don't think we've done enough as far as LGBTQ is concerned and even kind of socioeconomic background. You know, this is a music industry very much filled with graduates and people who've had those kind of opportunities. And music is passion for everyone, right? You know, whatever your background and whatever minority you may be, you know, you can be passionate about music and everyone should therefore, of course, have the opportunity to, to work in this business. So we've got more work to do. So that's diversity. And then I guess the other big change in my, my time in the business is the crazy development of, of digital technology. And I mentioned that the year that I joined AIM, iTunes launched in the UK and everyone was like, what is it? What, what's a download? What's an iPod? You know, it's, it's quite funny to say that now because it sounds like that's that in itself was quite ancient technology. But it was a crazy time because all of the majors had deals with, with Apple and with iTunes and the indies didn't. And it was quite scary, you know, they, they weren't sure that they were going to get the same terms as the majors or if they could even figure out how to distribute their music onto iTunes and similar platforms. So there was a lot of work to be done in those early stages for organisations like AIM to make sure that indies had a level playing field in the digital space. And every time the digital space evolves, so when downloading kind of got overtaken by streaming and then when things like TikTok appear and then, you know, NFTs and things now, every time the, the digital marketplace evolves, you know, there's a lot of work the industry has to do to catch up and especially the independent sector has to make sure that they don't get poorer terms and don't get shut out of these these kind of new platforms. And that, you know, that's that's going to always be the case. It's, it's evolving at such a rapid pace. Yeah, definitely. So talking about the, the digital DSPs, obviously, we know that there's a big controversy about payment for songwriters. Um, and I think it's something that shows how much more we have to do as an industry to create that understanding for the songwriter that, you know, okay, there are there are lots of people and parties involved in, in a song and releasing a song, but really the song comes from the idea from the songwriter and you know I think I just want to kind of get your take on on everything that is in discussion at the moment um and and what your thoughts are on it oh it's it's such a nuanced complicated topic I mean I think the first thing I realized when I joined the publishing side of the business having been so familiar with the recorded side of the business for so long is that it is so very complicated what goes on behind the scenes and part of that is because you know, in, in the streaming age, songs can be getting streams all over the world. There's different societies in every territory that you're dealing with to collect those royalties. There's different copyright laws in every territory. There's different languages in every territory. And on top of that, every song might have, for example, six writers that all might have a different PRO and all might have a different publishing company. Um, and then you've got to sort out who gets what and how it gets to them. And so, you know, at, at its very core, the publishing and the songwriting business is is so, so complex. 
and changes in technology have have sort of made it easier to to be transparent and for writers to to kind of see what they're earning and where it's coming from but also we're we're really not there in terms of having like the sort of dream scenario where where you know all the data is correct and there's one big database and everyone gets paid correctly and everyone's happy there's there's all this money going uncollected all over the world because of the complexities of this business um, and so when you get into the, the sort of debate about how much songwriters get paid and, you know, the value of the stream and what proportion should go to, you know, the recording and the songwriting and stuff, I mean, that is a whole other level of, of complication. I think what concerns me, first of all, working for SongTrust and working in publishing admin is are the writers collecting what they're due in the first place? Before before we debate whether it should be more, and I always will advocate for songwriters being paid as much as possible because we don't have a business without them. You know, what they do is amazing and it's absolutely at the core of what we do. But before we sort of debate how much each party should get and whether streaming should cost more and that sort of thing, like let's just make sure songwriters are collecting everything that they're due because at the moment, more often than not, they're not you know money is going uncollected because they don't understand the business because of how complicated it is so a big part of what we do is education helping songwriters to understand how they access their royalties and what they might be missing so with helping the clients understand what they're missing has there been an effect of that from covid and the pandemic you know obviously there's a lot of discussion about how the pandemic has affected the live sector but I would also imagine it would affect all other areas of the business too. Yeah absolutely I mean I think none of us expected this to go on as long as it has I mean I'm sitting here right now with Covid two years after we first went and went into the first lockdown and if we think back when that first lockdown began we thought it was going to be three weeks and we were quite annoyed to have to rearrange some plans for three weeks and here I am two years later sat here with the virus so so it's been it's been long and you know who knows what other surprises it has in store for us and I think as far as songwriters you know on, on one hand performance royalties will have been massively impacted you know performance royalties um, amongst other things are earned when you know when people perform their songs live or you know in cafes and restaurants and hairdressers and you know public performance of songs with all those lockdowns we've had over the last few years, of course, there's been very, very few gigs and there's been far less money coming through from, from shops and so on, which have been closed. So on one hand, it's, you know, it's definitely a negative for songwriters that, that COVID has happened. On the other hand, over the last two years, people have had way more time on their hands when they're normally busy touring and you know, getting albums released and all those things stopped. A lot of people went, right, I have time on my hands. I need to make sure I've got income coming through. You know, what could I be doing? And actually, I've been able to do so many deals and bring on board so many great clients for SongTrust because people have had the time to think about publishing admin, which often just slips down the bottom of the list. Um, and that is a positive because that will serve them all really well in the long run to have their songs, you know, correctly globally registered and to make sure that those royalties are coming through. Yeah, definitely. So kind of talking about 
you helping people wanting to get into the industry I know you mentioned a couple of friends that really helped you get to where you are today is there you know one particular person or group of people that really made a difference for you in you know whether it be an event or you know getting a new job uh, or has it just been kind of a collection of so many different people and and networking yeah, I mean, all of the above, really. I, I guess the a couple of names that I mentioned already, Alison Wenham and Remy Harris, they were really the people who gave me my first opportunities in music. And they're still my mentors. I will still call them if I'm not sure of a decision or, you know, if I just want some advice, then, you know, they're always there for me and they're so wise. And I now have the pleasure of, of mentoring some people as well. And I really think that the notion of, of mentorship, whether it's formal um, you know, you might be in a scheme where you get assigned a mentor and it's you, you're kind of arranged meetings and that kind of stuff. Or there might just be someone wise that you always go to that sort of unofficially is your mentor. But either way, I think mentoring is is incredibly important for for career progression. And also like having people who don't necessarily tell you what you want to hear. So um, I've got a, a good friend of mine called Chris Carey who works in the music business and he's worked all over the place at Ticket Swap and at PRS and various places and sometimes I kind of go to him with a, a dilemma and I think he's going to tell me that I'm right or you know what I want to hear and he just doesn't and it's really annoying but it's really kind of helped me make career choices along the way. So yeah I think having a, a peer network is really important so I have a sort of group of about 20 girlfriends that I I started getting together about seven or eight years ago now. And I realized that I had all these great girl mates in the music business who I didn't think knew each other, but I knew them and they were all really cool. And I thought they'd like to meet each other. So I, I organized this big weekend away about seven years ago now and invited all of them on it. And I was the only person who, who knew everybody. So it was a bit of a weird one, but actually we had this lovely weekend of all getting to know each other and we were all you know in our 20s then and still finding it quite nerve-wracking when you know when you walk into a room in the music industry and everyone's networking and you go shit I don't know anyone and it kind of fixed that because once that group of sort of 20 odd girlfriends was formed even now sort of seven eight nine years later whenever I walk into a music industry room there's always one of them there and and it's lovely so I really think building your your peer network and your your friendship groups within the music industry is is really important. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned you you're part of like a mentorship program. Is that something that you've created yourself or is that No, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I've created mentor programs before. I worked on Ames mentorship program with Remy and um I I worked on a, a mentorship program for the musicians union when I was consulting as well. Um, but nowadays, I'm a mentor on PRS Foundation's Key Change program, which has been really fun. I've done a couple of rounds of that through the years and mentored some really amazing people who I learn a lot from as well, because mentorship really goes goes both ways. But I also have um, a sort of informal mentor arrangement as well. There's this girl called Carla Kerslake, who I met when I lectured at her uni about three or four years ago, and she came up to me afterwards and and we stayed in touch and she actually came to work on various events with me when I was self-employed. And she she now has a job in the music industry. She started just, you know, last month, actually. And um, we talk all the time, just 
you know, when she wants a bit of advice or, it, you know, it took a while for her to get her job in the industry because of COVID and everything. And we had a few chats where it felt like she was kind of giving up hope. And, you know, part of my my sort of mentor role was really just to to keep her focused and to keep her positive and, and know that she would get there. And, and she has. So that's really good. Oh, that's lovely to hear. And it shows that the mentorship programs do work because there's so much talk of all these different societies and and groups that are trying to help people but actually seeing the success and seeing someone go from you know I want to get into the industry to well I got into the industry that's such a a great story to tell and and to hear so um yeah I'm really happy to hear that so kind of bringing it all back round um a very generalized question if you could change one thing about the music industry what would it be oh just one um (laughs) i know it's hard but (laughs) well i I guess it's you know my my big thing is always going to be diversity and inclusion so I, i want to see more diversity at the top of the music business now i think we've done a great job and we've made loads of progress in the last 10 years but it's mainly so far affecting the sort of lower entry level and kind of middle tiers and what really needs to happen for for sort of lasting change and you know to to tackle problems like sexual harassment and sexual assault and bullying and things is we need people at the top who are more diverse so we need more women more people of color more lgbtq people more people with disabilities you know the whole spectrum It, it needs to not just happen at the entry level and at the middle levels but right at the top and that's that's what I'm hoping to see. So um, I've got a few more questions. Well, this is another, again, quite generalised question. Um, but for obviously people who are listening, as we've been discussing all the different ways for you to get into the industry, what would be the first piece of advice that you would tell someone who wants to, to join the industry? Would it be, you know, networking and just getting yourself out there? Or what would you advise? Yeah, I mean, I think there are lots of opportunities to get into the music industry these days. So I would say definitely get out to as many networking events as you can. Um, and also th- there's lots of opportunities to to like work as sort of stewarding crew at things like The Great Escape and ILMC and all the different industry conferences. And if you do that, you'll you'll get paid and you'll also get the opportunity to like network with some of the people and see some of the sessions and that kind of thing. So I definitely think getting along to events and maybe working at them is is a good way in. Um, Also, I think you have to kind of use your initiative and do some things yourself early on. So like I was managing bands through uni, which I actually learned a surprising amount from all the stupid stuff we did wrong. And so I think kind of, you know, if you want to if you want to get into PR, then find some bands and write their press releases for them. Or if you want to manage bands, then, you know, the people that you're studying with and so on are no doubt musicians. So you you really have to sort of, you can't just apply for jobs. You have to kind of start doing them in a way while while you're studying and while you're aiming to get into the industry. I would say don't do unpaid internships. They were absolutely rife when I joined the industry. It was complete, it wasn't just, an occasional thing it, it was the norm and I, I 
pretty sure it's not legal now. So if you get asked to work for free, I mean, maybe volunteer at an event, sure, you'll you'll get good networking at it, but but don't be doing like a sort of three-month unpaid position anywhere that's disguised as an internship because that's just not okay and you don't need to do it these days. Um, there's lots of different schemes to give people paid experience and, you know, apprenticeships and such like. So just get on the Music Week website, get on Music Business Worldwide, Music Ally, um, Young Guns Network, all of these different websites and find out what events are happening, find out who needs, you know, staff in entry-level positions. And actually, you can just write to the companies that you're interested in and, and you know, say, I, I'm looking for an entry-level position. When I got my job at AIM, I had applied for lots of jobs and lots of paid internships and things and hadn't actually got anywhere really and I just wrote to to Remy Harris at AIM because she'd spoken at my university a little while earlier and I just said I'd really love to come and do some work for AIM and and she let me so so you sort of have to create your own opportunities sometimes. Um, Okay so I've got three quick fire questions that uh, we've done in previous podcasts. First question is is there one podcast, blog, or resource that you would most recommend? I know they're quite hard. <laughs> you know what? I, I say this on a podcast, but I don't really listen to podcasts. <laughs> um, podcast, blog, I don't really read blogs. There's some really great books that, that friends of mine have written. The, the Slacker's Guide to the Music Business by Phil Taggart um, is a great book. I, I was so pleased when I heard he was writing that because he's just he's so such an interesting guy and it's it's such a great book um and my friend Rianne Jones wrote a book about mental health in the music business as well I think it's called Sound Advice that's a really great read too so maybe I'm old school but yeah I'm recommending books <laughs> yeah I think books are great actually to be honest I think we don't give them enough credit because I think everything's so digital at the moment and it's kind of going away from that good old page turning feeling <laughs> Um, so the second question which you've kind of just answered in your first question because the second question was what book or resource has had the most influence the other um places that i really turn to for kind of industry information one of them is music ally and the music ally newsletter is amazing especially you know as there's lots of new technology like trying to understand web3 and the metaverse and nfts and all of that i find music ally really condenses it into very understandable explanations. So I love the Music Ally newsletter. Um, I think it is a, a paid for thing, or it's it's free to AIM members. So so that is that is great. I recommend that. So the last question, and this is probably the hardest of them all, and I don't think anyone has yet to actually just pick one. But do you have? one favorite song oh yeah this is the <laughs> hardest question I've got a list in my phone of about 10 and I keep changing it all the time I mean Otis Redding's Sitting on the Dock of the Bay is probably it I think I mean that that's been my favorite song for years and years and years but every year there's kind of a new song that's a contender to to replace it but yeah I'm gonna go with Otis Redding He's is, my guy. Also, he's he's probably got about four other songs in my top ten as well. I love these arms of mine and cigarettes and coffee, and I just I'm a huge Otis Redding fan. Is there a reason for that? Is is was did someone kind of introduce you to Otis Redding, or did you just discover him on your own? No, actually, it, it's weird. Like, there's no special significance to me for the lyrics. Um, it just makes me feel good. 
every time it makes me feel really calm it's it's just such a, a chilled song about you know just sitting on the dock and chilling and I, I i love it but like you becky i also love country so um there's some willie nelson songs that are my absolute favorites as well um for me my favorite thing about a song is the story that it tells and that's why i love country music so much because there's so many great stories in it what's your favorite song oh you snuck that one in there um i think probably my favorite song my way by frank sinatra probably has the most meaning to me um there's many more um but that one in particular has been a song throughout generations in my family and whenever we're at a family party as soon as it comes on we all get into a big circle and we all just scream the song so um yeah but you know I also love Rainbow by Casey Musgraves that's a a new favorite of mine um I think that's a brilliant song but yeah it's I know I we snuck it in there to ask and we knew it was a very hard question that's why we left it till the end so um but actually one question that I will just add because the first two questions probably tied into to one is there for someone listening um a particular album or artist that you would recommend at the moment to listen to yeah what what I mean, at the moment, I'm I'm listening to a lot of Casey Musgraves, uh, who you just mentioned. I'm I'm really excited to go and see her in the summer at Hampton Court Palace. So, I've been revisiting her Golden Hour album, which is definitely probably my favorite album of the last five years. So, if the people listening haven't heard Golden Hour, then check it out. It's it's beautiful, and especially now that the sun is out, or it was over the weekend anyway. Um, you know, it's it's a beautiful album to listen to in the sunshine. So, so that's one of my recent favourites. And there's a new Myron Morris album as well, which just came out, which I've just had to listen to. So, yeah, I'm just recommending lots of country stuff. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, especially after you've had COVID and you're still recovering. So we really do appreciate it. And, you know, I think everyone listening will really take a lot from this, um, which, is, which is the main aim. So, yeah, I, I hope you feel better soon. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, I'm not feeling too bad. And thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Another episode, another brilliant discussion. Lara was so full of practical and down-to-earth advice, particularly for those of you looking to get into a career in publishing. I had a lot of takeaways. I hope you did as well. Imposter syndrome particularly is something we all suffer from. I know I do. So it was really helpful for me to hear about how Lara's learned to tackle it alongside the initiatives that she's built throughout her career, mentoring, support networks, etc. Her concept of creating your own opportunities was especially powerful and a good takeaway for whatever stage of your career you're at. Certainly something I'll be trying to implement this week. The brilliant resources Lara highlighted for Women in Music were She Said So, which is she said dot so, Women in Control, which is spelled women in C-T-R-L, and Girls I Rate. So please check those out uh, for some brilliant resources for women across the music business. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, do leave us a review as it helps the discoverability of this little podcast. Thanks again to Jake Stimson at 247music.co.uk for editing this episode and also to Climbing Club for soundtracking this series with their song, I Will Find You. My name is Henry Marsden. Thanks again for listening to the MPA Futures Group podcast.